0: Today, what I want to do is wrap up a series that I started last at the beginning of the month um, called Relentless. And the idea of what does it look like in this season of Lent leading up to Easter to foster a more relentless faith, a richer, deeper, fuller faith where peace and joy and love and more and more becoming like Jesus is happening. And so we've kind of walked through some major paradigm shifts that have have to happen. On the inside, we've talked about the primary motive for the Christian life. And then in the last two weeks of this series, last week and this week, I've wanted to press in to this really important issue called prayer. And it's an issue that for many of us, maybe you grew up praying, but the problem is for most of us, our prayers didn't grow up with us. In fact, there's a disconnect. This um, past week... Uh, I was looking at a trade article. There was this interesting phenomenon that the candle industry experienced over the last year. You see, candles are pretty non-innovative as a technology. They've been around a really long time. You have wax that's formed with a wick stuck in it. Um, So it's not necessarily like a rapidly changing industry. Uh, You don't have candle 3.0 being dropped and downloaded today on your your candles around your house, right? Candles are pretty predictable, and they don't see a lot of major shifts and swings inside their industry, but this past year, Yankee Candle Company noticed a major shift in the first time in their entire history. What they noticed is while other candle companies had maintained a state, kind of a standard rating, uh, the Amazon reviews, the customer satisfaction surveys had pretty much stayed consistent Throughout the pandemic, Yankee Candle Company had noticed a significant drop in customer satisfaction. In fact, if you were to Google Yankee Candle Company reviews over the last year, what you would notice is there's been a pattern. A lot of people complaining about how they bought candles from Yankee Candle Company and they didn't work. Now, if you've ever purchased or walked by a Yankee Candle Company store, you know specifically what marks the Yankee Candle Company is the fact that there are strong aromas tied to their candles. Strange aromas, like the belly button of a gingerbread cookie. I mean, it's like very nuancy stuff, right? Like walking through a winter's forest while the sun is setting on the December day. But what people were starting to complain about was I bought this candle from Yankee Candle Company and it doesn't smell like anything. There's a ton of reviews of people complaining about the Yankee Candle Company and how it doesn't smell, though it's supposed to. I bought it for that winter's walk through that forest and it doesn't smell like anything. And the problem is is that what they've been able to figure out All of these negative reviews have been tied not to their candles, but to COVID-19. You see, oftentimes, one of the first symptoms that people would start to notice in the progression of the disease was sometimes the loss of smell. But they hadn't realized it yet, and so they were kind of lashing out against Yankee Candle Company because clearly your candles don't work, when in fact, it was their nose that had stopped working. They'd experienced this disconnect between what was supposed to be And what was. And I think in some ways, the Yankee Candle Company is a great living illustration around prayer. We grew up praying, but our prayers didn't grow up with us. And this is a tension that's not new to us. This is a tension that even the first century disciples watching Jesus experienced too. In fact, it says... And Luke 11.1, how we started last week. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now the reason He said teach us to pray is because it was clear to them that Jesus prayed differently. Jesus had a different way of praying. That what they had been taught and what they had caught growing up hadn't grown up to what He did when He prayed. There was a disconnect. They knew prayer, like the Yankee Candle Company, was supposed to do more, but they hadn't experienced it. It didn't smell like anything. It must not work. And I warned us last week that for some of us, we can walk away from prayer assuming it doesn't work, when in reality, it's that prayer doesn't work that way. And so fortunately for us, Jesus noticing that His disciples, His followers, had had a disconnect around prayer, he launched into one of his most famous teachings on prayer. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So last week, we looked at that in depth. Spent the entire time. and We looked at how prayer begins with heaven and what heaven's desires are. Not earth. And our desires. And that that posture is critical. And in fact, that posture is so important that had we had that posture in our lives regularly, we probably wouldn't have to pray some of the prayers that we pray. But I want to highlight something. He says, this then is is how you should pray in your prayers. He doesn't say this is what you should pray. He's giving them an introduction to a kind of a paradigm, a framework, not so much liturgy and specificity. He's not saying, say this every time you come to me in prayer. He's saying, say these things. Think this way about prayer when you pray. It's the model, not necessarily what we're meant to say every time we pray. That Jesus is trying to communicate. The challenge with this series is that there's so much around prayer. There's so many wrong things that we've caught, that we've been taught around prayer, that gets in the way of us actually experiencing what prayer was meant to do in the first place. While I wish I had an entire series just to focus in on prayer, I am going to be putting things in the app beginning on April 1 to kind of help you um, further dig in. Because for some of you, you have legitimate questions about prayer. I haven't said pray to Mary or pray to the saints. I haven't talked about that. But there's something to be said there. I haven't talked about what happens, what do you do with prayers that don't get answered? What do you do with, like, what's, what's a good framework? and how to approach prayer regularly. So all of those kind of different topics around prayer, those tensions, I'm going to be dropping in the app beginning April 1. Just every single week, there will be a new resource for you to kind of help you go a little bit deeper around prayer. What I want to do today, though, is build on what we started with last week, that we want to start with heaven, like Jesus said, that we want to start with heaven's, like that posture that says, your will be done, your kingdom come, and out of that, Out of that reconnection between our desires and heaven's desires flows the second half of the prayer that Jesus teaches them. Jesus isn't just concerned with our inner world, which is what the first portion of that prayer is focused on, right? My heart, my mind aligned with his heart and his mind. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, reconnect this way inside of me but Jesus doesn't leave there leave it there because even though that would have been a valid stopping point he develops the prayer more and what he develops actually really causes a little bit of tension with scholars who study biblical scriptures because you and I have taken for granted this prayer You were probably exposed to this long before you ever thought about this specific prayer. And so for us, we don't see how the juxtaposition can almost seem like a contradiction. We don't see how Jesus takes a strong right-hand turn in this prayer. But he does. And it's caused some tension within the scholarly world. Jesus says to them as he continues, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in the temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. You see, after he gives this overview, in Luke 5 and 6, Jesus tells them a story. And I want you to feel how weird this story is. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Now, this is quite normal in the first century. Hospitality is a really critical central part of Middle Eastern culture at the time. Hospitality is one of the highest virtues and values of the Middle Eastern culture. And so someone arriving in the middle of the night and you have no food to give them, that's a huge deal. So what does he do? He leaves his house and he goes next door and he begins to pound. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, why is his friend saying that? It's because most first century homes were one or two rooms. A bed is not the bed you and I think about. It's essentially a glorified camping mat laid across the floor. Everybody in the family is laying inside on top of that. And so if you get up, yes, you disturb everyone. There is no flashlight. There is only lamps. So you have to go find, start a fire, light your lamp, wake up everyone in the household. If you're a parent, you know what you would go to to make sure you don't wake your kids up, right? I mean, it's like being held hostage at night when your kid won't go back to sleep. And so he's like, leave me alone. Go away. I can't help you. And then Jesus says, I tell you that even though he will not give, get up and give you bread because of friendship, it's like even if he's a horrible friend, he says, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. That's something all every child knows. They know that if you ask enough, you can break someone. If you ask him enough, they'll eventually give it to you. And is that what Jesus is trying to convey? Is that what Jesus is trying to point out in this story that, okay, I've I've told you how to pray, now just annoy the living God until he's finally like, whatever, leave me alone. Is that the point? It's not. It's not the point at all. The point that Jesus is making actually comes next. He says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open." What Jesus is unpacking in that story is not if you annoy heaven, heaven will give to earth. He's using a a really funny story to convey some characteristics of what should mark the prayer life. Um recently came across this incredible biography about a 29-year-old actor who had moved to Hollywood, like so many actors, committed to making it big. Audition after audition, he kept falling on his face, couldn't get a job. He'd gotten down to the point, he had $106 left in his bank account. This 29-year-old couldn't afford his cheap Hollywood apartment, which is almost an oxymoron, and... His finances get so low, he tries to sell his dog because he can't afford dog food. So in, in order to escape kind of the current situation he's in at the time, he goes into the theater to watch a replay of Muhammad Ali's battle with Chuck Weppner. Now, Weppner was a pretty much an unknown at the time. And everyone was convinced that this reigning champion, Muhammad Ali, who floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee, was going to drop Webner pretty quick. But Webner maintains, stays on his feet 15 rounds before he finally gets knocked out. The actor is so inspired by Webner's kind of tenacity and audacity to keep getting back up in the front of Muhammad Ali, that he goes home and he writes a screenplay because he determines, well, if I can't get a job in another movie, I'm going to write my own movie, and I'll be the actor in it. And so in three days, he writes the script, a script designed for him where he's the star. He goes to an audition shortly after, and he fails that audition, but as he's walking out, he makes a comment about the script he's just written, and the producer stops him and says, well, let me see it. The actor gives him the script. He reads through it and he says, this is interesting. I'll give you $25,000 for it. And the actor says, no. Okay, okay, I see what you're doing. You're playing hardball. I'll give you $100,000 for it. And the actor says, no. One hundred and dollars dollars And the actor keeps saying, no. I would rather bury this thing in my backyard and a caterpillar plays the lead than ever give it to you Because you don't want to hire me, you want to hire someone else to do it. I'll only give you this script if you let me be the lead. Producer thinks he's playing hardball, goes to 250, finally 360, and it's clear the actor will not take anything, but you get the lead as the answer. So the producer says, fine, you can have the lead. But this movie's going to be a flop, so you're only going to have a budget for a million dollars, In the course of 28 days, with a million dollar budget, they filmed the movie. They didn't have enough money, so the actor had to call his father, his brothers, all of his family members to be in the movie with him, including his dog, too. The dog he almost sold, because he couldn't afford to feed them. And that movie, when it hit the block, when it hit the movie theaters, became a blockbuster. It earned over 225 million years, 225 million dollars that year. He won multiple awards including best picture and that 29-year-old actor, Sylvester Stallone, and his breakthrough screenplay, Rocky. I think demonstrates a little bit of what Jesus was trying to convey inside of that story he told. That it's not just faith in our words. That the, if you notice, right, it's filled with action. Ask, seek, knock. That what marks a prayer in faith is the faith in action. If you pray for rain, do you walk out your house with an umbrella? That Rocky had this tenacity, this Sylvester Stallone understood like, well, no one will say yes, so I'm going to create an opportunity where yes can happen. And what's interesting is if you go back and you think through the prayer that Jesus prayed, He intentionally, every one of the details, has action tied to it. See, faith is not just in our prayers, in our words. It's also found in our actions, too. Daily bread, the manna, the illustration to Israel and God's provision. Well, manna didn't get grub to the door. You had to go out and collect it. If you didn't collect it that day it rotted away. So you had to go and get it. You had to do something. When he says forgive our debts, anyone who's ever had to forgive forgive someone knows that forgiveness costs you something. You have to pay because most people don't forgive because we want the other person to pray. We want our ex-wife to pray. We, like, we want our co-workers to pay. We want our spouse to pay. We want what that person who did to us, our parents growing up, we want them to pay. Because they hurt us. They deserve it. Oh, they're going to pay for it, not me. And so what do we do? We hold on to it. Keep that unforgiveness inside. Because Jesus cares, he knows it's in there, and he wants us in our daily prayers to make sure we're checking this relationship and checking the relationship we have with others. But we all intuitively know it costs to forgive. We're saying when we forgive someone, I'm not going to make you pay. When you forgive your spouse, you forgive your roommate, you're saying, I'm not going to make you pay for for what you did to me. Doesn't mean there's not consequences. Doesn't mean there's not boundaries in place. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you willingly, willfully choose to pay what you would have wanted them to pay for. That's a decision. That's action. Protection. God, protect me from those things that could tempt me. The temptations that are out there that would test me. You're essentially saying, God, in the hallway of evil, provide a door for deliverance. But you still got to walk through that door. You can't just pray for God to step in and intervene with your struggle with pornography or your addiction around alcohol or our tendencies with our words to to lie and to cover up. If we pray that God would deliver us, then it means we go into those situations when we find ourselves, we don't go into the situation. When we find ourselves in the situations, we know that there's a door to get out of it immediately. And we walk through that door as quickly as possible. We don't play the game with, well, I'm going to get up to the line and see how far I can go. And it still be okay. We trust that God's made a doorway. He's made a way. I'm going to walk through it. Everything that Jesus taught us to pray around our physical, our relational, our spiritual needs, has to be coupled with action. It has to be met with movement. I'm not talking about name it, claim it, and this horrible theology that exists out there that the reason you don't have something is because you haven't claimed it from the heavens and spoken it with your words. That's not biblical. I'm talking about faith legitimately, that's postured, positioned under God your will, not my will, God your desires, God heaven's desires, not what earth desires, you, not me, are in control, that out of that posture becomes and proclaims those words, those needs of God my daily physical needs, God my relational needs and keep me whole and healthy, and God my spiritual needs so that my life isn't filled with decisions of regret. That moves me away from you and puts me in chains. That God, you want me to be spiritually free. That those things are what's being fostered in this prayer life. Not just in the words we say, but the way we walk in response to what we pray. If you pray for rain, you have to leave your house with an umbrella. This is what Jesus is saying. But he doesn't leave it there. This is how he wraps it up and this is how we'll wrap it up today. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? He's using ridiculous examples. He's like, no, this is dumb. None of you would do this. None of you would do this. He says, if you then, though you are evil, though you are imperfect, though you lie, and though you are not like your heavenly father. right?" He's making this strong point. If you and all of who you are know how to give good gifts to your kids, then how much willing will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He's saying, look, I, I'm a good father. And that I want to fill your life with life, peace, joy. I want you to daily come to me and, and in the posture of your heart and your mind that you align yourself with who I am because who I am and what I want for you is the best for you. And that out of that daily posturing, God, your will, not my will, that we then say, God, here are my needs, my physical needs, my relational struggles, my spiritual struggles, the choices, decisions I'm trying to make. I'm God, I need all of these things. I give them to you. And the wonder and the Splendor that the Father in heaven who is infinite, majestic, holy, righteous, just, and pure is intimately aware of every care that you have and that He wants you to pray to Him. I think the beauty of prayer is that God already knows what we need down here. But He loves when His kids talk to Him. I love when my kids talk to me. When you were a kid, your parents probably loved hearing from you. And that God delights when we come to Him in dependence. And declaring that we know that He's able and in the process allowing Him to do the inner work transformation inside of us. That ultimately leads to a relentless life. And to help us all get started, I'm really excited about something we've been working on behind the scenes That um, I'm going to talk to you later about what this is going to allow us to do. But here's what I need everyone to do this week. I want you to actually put one of your prayers in writing. Actually physically write it down. Be specific in your request to God. But I'm going to ask that you do it through the Encounter Church app. If you open up the Encounter Church app and click prayer, or you go to EncounterChurch.com backslash prayer, whatever that slash is, prayer, You'll be able to input it in there. And here's the cool part. If everyone does that, then in these series of little mini talks that I'm going to start putting in the app around prayer, one of the things that's going to happen is I'm going to teach you how to have a regular prayer life. And that new system that we've set up for prayer, when you put your prayer request in, it's going to come to us. I'm going to have an ability to modify it, to kind of anonymize it so that no one sees that it's you and or your idiot boss, right? Or your dumb spouse and all that stuff. And then I can, once, once we scrub it of any personal details, we can then post it on this prayer wall that we've been building that you'll be able to access in the app in about a week. And every time when you go through your daily rituals of prayer, that wall is going to pop up inside of our app. And every time you pray for someone and you touch it, they're going to get a notification Saying, hey, someone just prayed for me. Hey, someone just prayed for you. Hey, someone just, they don't have to know your name because I'm not going to let them see your name. We'll be praying for you as a staff, but I really want us as a church to move into deeper places of prayer. If you're not a Christ follower, then you just sit back and watch because part of what we will see as we start to chronicle and detail and dialogue around specific prayer requests is that we'll be able to celebrate when God answers them. And you'll get to see God move in response to that. And so I really want you, this week, to take that step towards prayer. Put it in the prayer request. Click on the app. Go to the website, encounterchurch.com forward slash prayer. So that we can start to pray for you. So that we, collectively, can start to pray for each other. And then through this, as we move forward into a more relentless faith.